From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Lauren Kessler is an author of 15 books and many magazine articles. She teaches and leads workshops in a variety of venues and is a guest on the Oregon Grapevine. Thanks for being here, Lauren. A delight. Thank you. You describe your genre of writing as narrative nonfiction, and I'd like to know exactly what that is and kind of how that came to be your description. I think it's easily described. It's um, real people doing real things in real life reported but presented in a storytelling fashion. So it's fact with an overlay of story. Normally when we read fact, we think of it's a, it's a chronology of fact. But what we really want to hear is story. Stories are made up. This is a story. I write stories that are not made up. And it, did it come naturally to you? You just kind of said, I realize this is how I work, or was it something you developed over time? Well, I trained as a journalist. I always wanted to go out and report. And, um, and then I did, and I found that um, merely uh, ordering facts and presenting them was not, uh, well, was not in an enriching way to live my life. And it also didn't even touch people in that way. So I think how I discovered this was really, I'd like to say that I was smarter than I was. I discovered it by reading people who wrote this. And I I read, I think John McPhee was the first narrative nonfiction writer that I read. And I thought, wow, this guy went out and he talked to people and he was in a real place and he told a story about it. And it has plot and it has character development and has all the things I love about fiction But what I don't love about fiction is it's made up. And I can just dismiss it. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't really happen. But I can't dismiss this because it did happen. So I fell in love with the genre through reading it. And explain just a little or describe a little of of a couple of of the stories that you told in the books that you've written and experiences that have really maybe were a little bit more cutting edge or more difficult for you. Oh, well, everything is difficult. <laughs> so, that, so that does not narrow well, the field. Well, there you go. So one of the things that um, I um, have grown into doing is immersing myself in the environment or maybe even the subculture of what I'm trying to understand so that I'm in the middle of it but reporting out from it. And I did this, for example, by taking a job as a bottom-of-the-rung caregiver at an Alzheimer's uh, residential Alzheimer's facility, uh, so that I wasn't a reporter coming in and looking around. I was a worker uh, interacting with families and people who had the illness, and then, of course, doing the research, and not and it was not undercover. I, everybody knew what I was doing. Um, that was a difficult one to do. It was a difficult place to put myself in, and difficult to do. be serious about doing the job, because people are... I mean, people were owing their lives to me in the moment, um, but also having my storytelling brain working at the same time. Um, and, and an opposite, and I'll just mention, so the Alzheimer's one, and then I embedded myself in the Eugene Ballet Company that with uh, Tony Pimble's 
generosity and tried to learn uh, not just ballet, but what it's like to to give up everything for your art, you know, and by everything, say from a, uh, your health, your bones, your joints, because that's all going to go, right? And for women, often um, the being a mother, because it doesn't work out generally career-wise to do that. It, it can, but it doesn't often. Um, so there's ballet, and then I embedded myself in prison without committing a crime. Uh, <laughs> There's certain things I will not do for the genre, um, but I did start a writer's group at Oregon State Penitentiary and uh, spent a lot of time up there um, teaching writing, being around people who needed to find their voice to tell stories. Are you a person who has a child, was journaling and writing little stories and, and always writing part of your life, or did it come to you later? I knew at eight that I wanted to be a writer, but not because I was um, not because I was writing, because I was reading. So I came to it as a reader, and I had I had a particular aha moment, which I think I've written about, um, sitting under a tree um, in the front of my parents' house, reading a book, and I I was eight, and my mother uh, called me for lunch, and I I just came out of a dream, right? Um, I. And I would never have said this as an eight-year-old because this is way too articulate for an eight-year-old. But but I think what I was thinking at the time was um, I've just been time traveling. You know, I'm in a different geographical place, a different time, and and the the main character was a boy and I wasn't. Yet I was so much there that when my mother called me for lunch, it was a shock that I was actually who I was where I was. And I thought, I think I thought, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. I have a friend who's a poet, and he always has a notebook, and he always has a pencil, and you'll be talking, and all of a sudden he'll pull it out, and he'll write some phrase or something that he wants to remember. That's kind of his process for writing. What is your process? It's funny that you asked that, because I just came from coffee with somebody who said, we metabolize time differently. And I, and I said, hold on a second. <laughs> I grabbed a pen and wrote it on a napkin, literally. Um, so, <laughs> that's, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I have, um, s- sometimes I scribble things and I also give myself voice messages, um, th- which is how when I walked the Camino de Santiago, I didn't have paper and pencil because I was saving uh, weight in my backpack, but I did have my uh, phone. So I I did voice messaging for myself that I later wrote about. I scribble, I think a lot, you know. There's no difference between, what's the difference between working and staring out the window is a quote that I have in my office. And it's often no difference. So there's a lot of thinking, you know. The thinking to writing ratio is way more thinking than writing than, than maybe a non-writer would think. And do you go through a process where every day you make sure for an hour or two or whatever that you actually sit at a desk or sit in a spot and work, or is it more free form for you? Uh, Well, I'll stop you at sit because I have not been sitting (laughs) uh, for probably seven or eight years. I first had one of those desks that go up and down, and now I don't. I just stand, so stand. Um, Yes, I have a discipline, but it's not only about writing because a um, so I, I write a new 
essay to post every Wednesday, and that's part of my discipline. And there's some magazine work that I do, especially for uh, Neiman Storyboard that I've been writing for quite a lot. But mostly it's book work, and books take four years, you know, from from thinking about it to holding it in your hand. So on any given day, it's not like I'm writing X number of words on this project. I'm taking notes, I'm thinking about it, I'm working on structure. When during those eight or nine or ten months that I'm writing, yeah, I I am there. It's it's a job. It's not waiting for the muse to fly in the window. Do you work on one project at a time, or do you, on your scribbles, go, oh, my next project might be X, Y, Z? How does that work for you? Or well, do you finish something first? Yeah, no, certainly one book at a time. I could never um, do any—that's just an immersive process— um, because I decided that um, I needed to have not a daily thing that I did, but at least a weekly kind of uh, very crafted essay. So I am working and thinking about that during the week, even when I'm also working on a book project. And the Neiman stuff, I think I, I write, I've been writing about one or possibly two stories every month for that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but it's not like a huge number of balls in the air, and it's certainly not more than one serious project at a time. Will you explain the Neiman project? I don't, know, I don't know what that is. So Neiman is the name of some rich guy who gave a bunch of money to Harvard, and, they, and so Harvard created the Neiman Foundation for Narrative Journalism, and from the Neiman Foundation comes a thing called Neiman Storyboard. It's Neiman Storyboard. Dot org. It's N-I-E-M-A-N. And um, it is um, written about journalism and storytelling for editors and journalists. Um, and it's, it's really smart. And it's published or it's uh, edited by Jackie Benishinsky. And I don't know how long people have been in Eugene, but she was one of the reporters. This is where she's got her start. And she went on to be a Pulitzer Prize, double Pulitzer Prize winner, I believe. And now she's the editor of Neiman Storyboard. So I get to write about the craft. I get to write about ethics. I get to write about empathy. I get to write about what happens when you write about the stuff that nobody wants to read. I don't mean uh, nobody wants to buy, but the subjects are tough for people to read about. So I get to write about that. And do you choose those topics, or are they kind of suggested to you? I choose them. As you've gone through your career and had these experiences as a ballet dancer and so on and so forth, are there certain vignettes or certain emotional moments or laughter that, that you carry with you all the time that you find yourself revisiting more than others? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, on the one, one sense, everything that you go through becomes part of you. What surfaces is often like what you're talking about, some particular moment. And so I think my answer is yes. Um, and, and that becomes often, when I'm writing about it, that becomes like not the centerpiece of a book, but the, the book on Alzheimer's was called Dancing with Rose. And the moment, the kind of moment you're talking about was when I danced with a woman that it's her, her real name was not Rose, was Rose. And the aha moment of that was that she was a severely demented woman, and she was a beautiful dancer, and she um, could keep time with the music, and she was graceful. 
but in all the rest of her disease life, she was none of those. And so it was seeing the humanity through the disease. And so, yeah, that is a particular moment, absolutely, yeah. Have these projects or your projects or your writing, when you go into it and then you go out of it, have you found that it has changed the way that you navigate life and the world where there's kind of either, were you expecting things that didn't happen or how does that affect you? I don't really understand people who are not affected by their work. With the last two books that have been about incarceration and prison, that really brought me up close to my own sense of forgiveness and is forgiveness possible and is real change possible is somebody who did something really really awful can they become can they grow into and change into somebody else and can can we as a culture or can me as a person forgive that person and and what does forgiveness mean? So all of this is not, I mean, all of this I've never, I didn't really think about in that way um, until I was with people who had done terrible things. And now it's 30 years later. And I don't know the terrible things that they've done. I was not a member of the family where they killed somebody, you know. All I know is the person in front of me. And to look at that person and to read that person's writing and how they talk about themselves and to try and make sense of who they could, who they became, really changed me. I think for the better. Yeah. Are you finishing a project now, or what is your next kind of what's your trajectory of writing as we speak? <laughs> as we speak, uh, this afternoon I have a, um, a phone conversation with my new editor um, because I'm just starting uh, a new book very happy about that and she is um an i worked with her on the ballet book i really love this person it's very hard to find a good editor it really is and when you find one you just want and, and then they they leave and they do something else and my the one other editor that i loved became a literary agent and she's not my agent, but she left being an editor. So this editor is still there. So yes, I'm starting a new project, and I will tell you that the name of it is Everything Changes Everything, which was the uh, Todo Cambio Todo, which was a song in Spanish sung by uh, Augustinian nuns during one of my, during an afternoon on the Camino de Santiago. And so it's not really about it's not a travelogue about the Camino, but it's, um, yeah, it's about healing. It's about moving forward. It's about not being done yet. It's about everything that we have been through, not just as individuals, but, you know, probably since 9-11. All that stuff that we're now calling the new normal, that I refuse to call the new normal, and where we, where we go from that. So you don't go into a convent and become a singing nun, is what you're, is what you're telling me. It's a whole different thing. Well, you know, <laughs> if I could sing, and if I were Catholic. So those are two big ifs. But I appreciated being in their presence, absolutely. I'm glad somebody is a singing nun. Just, it's not me. You teach and you give workshops. Talk a little about that. What are you teaching? How, how does that work? Are they college students? Are they just community members or both? 
I was, um, I did have a full-time teaching gig, and I was a member of a uh, academic community. And what I found um, was that I truly love part of teaching, but I, I didn't like a lot of the rest of the stuff about being part of an academic community. So it took a really long time, um, and frankly, it took Obamacare because then I didn't have to have a job for insurance for my children. <laughs> to be able to move out. So um, I have taught, so I, I taught in the prison. So those are, the, the, my students were between the ages of 38 and 81 uh, serving life sentences. So that's one group of people. Um, I teach uh, at the University of Washington in a graduate program where people are f full-time employed in those places that people work at in Seattle that made it unaffordable for the rest of us to live there. Um, and that's called Storytelling for Social Change. And I teach um, for a nonprofit that, that works with EU journalists and journalists specifically from um, Germany, Austria, and parts of Switzerland, located in Vienna. And those are working journalists, so they're, they're adults. And they are wanting to write stories, like storytelling stories, but they've been news reporters, so that. And then for the very first time in the spring, I taught a workshop here of, you know, grown-ups that wanted to write and just and didn't want to go to school for it, and it was really lovely. Might you do that again? Is that something you would consider? Yeah, I think it might be happening again. I just didn't want to be the person who found a venue and you know, collected money from people and advertised myself. But happily, some person wanted to do that. So, yeah, so that person may want to do it again. <laughs> Perfect. We'll, we'll work on her. Do you see other things like that, projects like that, a group of people out there that you'd really like to be teaching? I mean, is it is it middle school kids or is it, you know, whatever? Is there another kind of group out there that you would wish that you could reach? That's a really interesting question. I would like to get back to the prison. That's not a different group. But that was very, very satisfying work, I think, for them and for me. The prison did close down because of COVID, and all of the volunteers, and I was a volunteer, uh, were you know, left out. And so I have not found a way to get back to the prison yet. When my kids were in Spencer Butte Middle School, um, I was often tapped to come in and t and just do these fun exercises, and I, I loved that, but I don't have any connections there anymore, so if anybody's listening and they want to bring me into middle school, I think that's a really great age. And in older people, I've often thought, do, do I want to make a connection in one of the um, senior centers? Um, for for people who really feel like they there's stuff they want to say, not not necessarily to leave to their grandchildren, but stuff writing helps you process, right? It's a way of slowing down time and processing it, and um, that could be really important for people. So I'd like to do that too. What inspires you to do to do your work? Uh, rampant curiosity about the world. Just walking through life and wondering why, how did that happen, who's that, what motivates them. I'm just interested, basically. Yeah. Anything you want to add to this conversation that we haven't touched on in terms of just any, any topic at all come to mind? 
Well, how about the fact that I can hold a plank for three <laughs> three minutes? We haven't discussed that. We did not discuss yeah. that. Well, but happily, I'm well, see, happily, this is not TV because you could ask me to hold the plank, and then I'd be embarrassed because possibly I can't actually do it for three minutes. But um, is that something you just kind of decided one day you were going to do, Lauren? Uh, no, it was a boot camp, and so I'm I'm a competitive person and when you're in a room full of people and they're counting you down and it's like how long can you stay in this position and I'm seeing everybody around me fall down I think all right I'll just do like 10 more seconds 10 more seconds 10 more seconds so that's why because I'm ridiculous that way so maybe one of the books becomes athletic trainer and and person working in a gym oh I don't know that's a good (laughs) idea though yeah (laughs) Let, let me know when you when you manifest it. Thank you so much, Lauren Kessler, for being here and talking about your writing and, and just your perspective on the world. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for all the great questions, and um, it was fun. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. 